we acknowledge the original owners of the land on which we podcast, whose stories were told for thousands of years. Today, we are recording in Mianjin. We pay our respects to elders past and present who may be listening. Sovereignty was never ceded. A quick note before we get started that there may be some swearing in today's podcast. If you don't like swearing or usually listen with children in the car, you have been warned. You're listening to What in the NDIS Now, a podcast where I, Hannah Redford, and my friend Sam Rosenbaum interview participants and providers about all things NDIS. Hello, thank you so much for being here. So um, today on the podcast, it's just me in the hosting chair, Um, but I have with me a very special guest. This is Lauren from Careseekers. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. How are you? Thanks so much, Hannah. I'm really good. So excited to be on the podcast. I've been listening to your um, episodes and I think they're fabulous. And so um, we're so thrilled to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Now, normally you have an offsider, um, Marissa, but she's unwell today. She is my trusty co-founder. Um, we usually do these things together, but she's, yes, she's very sick today. So it's just me. Um, yeah, just me this morning. All right. Oh, that sucks so much when you have, you know, meetings planned and then suddenly you wake up sick and you're just like, oh. Totally, totally. But we've worked together for so long and we're sisters, so we often are picking up the slack for each other when, you know, the other one um, can't be there or we we often have to divide and conquer. So Nice. Oh, that's so good. I hope she feels better soon and enjoys the episode when it, when she, when it comes out. Thanks. I'll tell her. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So tell me, uh, where did you grow up? So, um, as I said, Marissa, my co-founder, and I are sisters, um, and we grew up in Sydney on um, the North Shore of Sydney. Um, Our parents are South African, and they um, immigrated to Australia when um, I was a baby and Marissa was about four, and we um, moved into an area of Sydney that um, had a lot of South African immigrants um, and spent our childhood and you know up late teens early 20s there in in on that side of Sydney oh wonderful yes I mean Sydney's lovely <laughs> um so that's it's great. Big, big and lovely and um you know f- after that I then lived in New York and London and um, my husband's English and and then I've come back to Sydney um and now we live in a different part um of it um, near the beach um, in Maroubra and Marissa lives here too and it's actually it's it's just it's a there's a lot of different pockets and we love the like diversity of this part of of Sydney because um, the upper north shore is not that diverse but <laughs> we absolutely we love you know the the diversity of the southeast now 
Oh, nice. Yeah. I've heard rumours of the North Shore. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I've ever been there myself, but yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. So many trees. So many. It's such beautiful, like, you know, nature and bushland, a a beautiful place to to grow up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. So um, you spent a lot of time overseas. That that sounds awesome. New York and London, you said, I think. Um. Yes. Um, New York, I was there doing um, a filmmaking course because my, my in another life, I was in production and film. And um, and then London, I was there for four years um, and really enjoyed both like big city living. I really love big cities. I love all the different types of people you meet and the different ideas and and yeah, I just, I, I really enjoyed um, living like in that part of the world. And then it always makes you really appreciate being back here in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how did you get into the disability sector? What drew you <laughs> over here? Sure. So it's a bit of a story. Um, my background, as I said, was um, in like film production, TV commercials, advertising, marketing. And um, as I went on my career, I kind of moved away from, I guess, like fashion and film, that kind of world. And I moved more into corporate social responsibility and social impact. And my last job, I guess, before um, moving in, like setting up Care Seekers was in the UK at a at a one of the Prince's charity, well, now the King's charity, I guess. Um, it's called Business in the Community. And it was all about taking businesses and helping them kind of add good onto them. So it was like finding ways that they could do good, um, and which was great. And they did some amazing programs across the environment and employment and community development. Um, you know, there was a lot of corporate dollars put into that. And it was, it was, they were doing a really amazing work. But I always felt like I wanted to create a business that had impact in its DNA. They were like every day, you didn't have to look for the good. Like every day we were just making a difference. Um, So I just had this burning desire to create something. And Marissa, my co-founder, she was at the time working in, she's a, a lawyer and she's always done human rights law. And at the time she was doing disability discrimination. Um, She was actually working at IDRS. um, And she saw the rollout of the NDIS in um, Newcastle. And she saw that she saw with her clients the it was so important to have the right support worker. She saw it time and time again when they when they were thriving, it was because they had good supports around them. They were her clients had intellectual disabilities. And when they weren't, she'd say, What's changed? Why are you back here? And they'd say, Oh, I don't like my support worker, my, you know, or they just didn't have access to good support workers. So she had the idea really to um to create a, a platform where you could directly connect um, an individual to your support worker. Um, and because we'd actually worked together in the past, um, we did a documentary together in Cambodia um, about um, just looking at all the different, the orphanages there and the way children, um, looking at children and women and domestic violence. And we, it was it was a great documentary and we absolutely loved working together. And when we finished it, we were like, oh, what's our next project going to be? And it took a while. Like we didn't, we went then went our separate ways and did the work we were doing. And it was only when Marissa had the idea um, 
that we that we thought she was like do you want to do it and I was like yes definitely so for me um, I was new to the disability sector um, and our business is also in aged care so I was new to that sector but I absolutely was so inspired to to run a business that could help people um, and I think we always you know we're not just supporting um, people living with disabilities we also love the way we help find work for um for people as well so it's like obviously a two-sided marketplace and and we really love being able to help both sides of of the marketplace um and so care seekers was born in 2015 as you would know we weren't the first ones with that idea i mean we actually all came about it at similar times but there's been others um who are all doing a great job and um but probably it really um we started as a subscription model where you had to pay to post a job and we did an accelerator with actually with NRMA and, and Slingshot and they said to us, you know, this isn't a good business model. You need to, you know, you need to like be taking money off every hour of care. Like that's where the value is, not just posting a job. So then we pivoted the whole business and the model and our technology. And so we officially kind of have been in the space since 2017 with our current business model. Um, so yeah, so that's a long answer to your very short question. Oh, <laughs> oh no, uh, very long answers are exactly are wonderful. And I I think um, that like exactly all that you've you've said is great. You know, I I love it when you know it comes together pretty organically the way that you were both like ah. Oh, something could be done better here, you know. Um, okay. so, so that's so awesome. So how does the platform work? Sure. So the platform works in a number of ways. I guess we've got a few different types of customers when it comes to the disability sector. We've got individuals and families who post jobs on their own and automatic, you know, connect to workers. Then we've got support coordinators who um, either can post jobs through like a support coordinator dashboard themselves, but we know, and I'm speaking to a fabulous support coordinator right now, um, you guys are very busy. Um, and so we actually have a really quick referral form that support coordinators send us, and then we work to find the right workers for their clients. And then finally, we also work with a lot of disability providers and they get a whole different system. Um, we've got a whole different software for them. And again, they send us referrals and then our job is to, um, is to really find the right support worker for their clients. So we are all about the match. So even though um, we do, we always say we're more than just a platform because everybody who posts a job gets in their own account manager. They'll always, it's not just, it's not just technology. Like you really get to speak to one of our, um, one of our amazing members of staff who will really listen to what your client needs and find you the right worker. But then the technology is used to give us a massive database and huge scale of workers. So we have over um, close to 16,000 workers that we have at on the platform. Obviously not all are active at the time, but what it means is that often we'll have a support coordinator will call us in like a very, you know, regional remote area and be like, oh, we're struggling. Do you have anyone here? And we'll look, you know, we'll reach out to the database and we're like, yeah, we actually do. And maybe they never completed their registration or they have, but it's, you know, they need to update their police 
NHS check or their NDIS worker screening check. So then we can reach out to them and 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 often, you know, you just need one worker sometimes. Sometimes that worker's not right, but we chat to them. We say, do you know anyone in your community? And they're like, oh, yeah, my sister also does it or my aunt or, you know, the guy down the road and they'll connect us to them. And then we use our technology to onboard them in the most safe, secure way. Um, and get them like, uh, you know, ready to to support participants. Um, so yeah, so we kind of, we service all different people in the throughout the sector in different ways. But I think the main two things we often just say is like, we're more than just a platform. Um, and that we are all about the match at the end of the day, we just really want to make that right match, because it goes back to Marissa's background, where she sees, she saw the fallout of what happens when there wasn't a good match. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, so are the support workers um, employed by you? How does that work? So they're all independent contractors working under an ABN. Um, so they running their own little business. So they all set their own rates. They um, they decide what hours they want to work. They, you know, if and obviously we put structures in place like if you, they don't have a cert three, then they can't do personal care. And we have all the, we make it very transparent on their profiles, what they do and don't have. But they, the workers love it. They love like being in, in control of, of the rates they can charge and the hours they work and where they go and what they do. So um, it really, it really works well for our business to have them working independently. Oh, great. Excellent. And so do they have to provide their own insurance as well? So we cover all insurances. So we do all the onboarding. We cover all insurances and um, and we're there for them. So in terms of payments, it all comes through us. But that means that we don't just leave them high and dry. Like often there'll be a delay and they want to know what's going on. And we're really advocates for them to get their payment paid. If there's an issue of why it's not being paid, we liaise between the two and make sure, you know, if the plan manager is coming back to us going, the wrong line item or there was too many hours we we really help them make sure that their um, invoices get paid in a timely way as well or if there's disputes you know we'll we'll step in um if there's they can formally you know report incidents directly through to us we're also in we're um, an NDIS registered provider so we have to adhere to all the policies and code of conducts across um across that as well so I think they feel um you know, even working independently, they're very supported um, by by us and our team. Yeah, well, it it sounds like it because they they get their own personal person who then they can can advocate for them, and uh, uh, like that sounds great from that point of view. Definitely, I I, I really like that idea, um, and that that then they can also be a registered provider. That that sounds great. Yeah, so they're working on, you know, that we're the registered provider and then um, and we we have the line items for support workers. We also have it for support coordination. So we've got some support coordinators who work alongside us um, for their clients. Um, yeah, so they do get the benefits of, of the structures of an NDIS registered provider, which is great for the workers, but also obviously great for all the participants we service as well. So is there someone in your organisation who interviews 
the support workers? Um, yes. So we have an onboarding team. Um, so everybody who registers will always get a, like a welcome call. It's not so much an interview rather than just a chat about the, the platform, how it works. And then we also have to um, call their references. So often there's back and forth between them. You know, references always take a while to get hold of. Um, but then that's our onboarding team. So they're all about making sure the right there's the right documents and, and, you know, the real safety checks of it. But then I guess the next step is when we're putting workers forward for roles, um, then we our account managers are doing like mini interviews on a per participant basis. Um, the individuals and families, if we're, sometimes we call them and we say like, hey, you know, you get a complimentary account manager, would you like us to help you find a a worker sometimes they're super savvy with these platforms and they're like not nah, leave it to us and so then I guess they're doing their own pre-interviewing and making sure they're right for them or their family member but at the same time there's a lot of data on the profile which makes them go yeah no that would be there's reviews there's how many hours they've worked on the platform there's the date they were last active so you also get a sense straight away is this a worker that has a lot of clients already that people are loving so um we we do we can, you know, so we kind of, the platform allows you to see, do kind of a pre-check to make sure they're the right one for you. And then our account managers are always in, because it's at the end of the day, the interview, you know, you might be interviewing somebody and they're fantastic with children, amazing with children. And then you have a role for somebody who's, you know, in their fifties and and they're not right for that. So you're always, you're always interviewing the worker based on the client you have in front of you that you're trying to match with. Yeah, absolutely. I, I You're not out of the clear. Once they register with us, it's not like, oh, the, you know, they still have to jump through lots of hoops to really <laughs> before we put them forward. We've also in the past when we first started, we used to give a short list of five workers, four workers. People were overwhelmed. They don't want that anymore. They They want like, I don't know how you feel being a support coordinator, but like one, two maximum and let them choose between it. So we do a lot of that. Like we'll have the short list of six to 10. We'll whittle it down to, you know, three or two and then present it to the support coordinator or the um, provider so that they just, we just find people are so time poor these days. And I guess we've become the real experts in what makes a, what a good support worker and what you know, what a client would need in terms of a support worker. That's our expertise. So we try and leverage that for our our clients. I love that idea as well. Yeah. I mean, as a support coordinator, I <laughs> it's funny that you say, you know, three or four is too many for people. Um <clears throat> and it and it sometimes absolutely is. And but I still provide me personally, like as a support coordinator, still provide people with three or four options. And then I say to them, all of these options that I'm giving you are good and would suit you. I mm-hmm. haven't presented you any option that wouldn't work. Yeah. So if you're really stuck, the worst you could do is eeny, meeny, miny, mo. <laughs> you know, totally. whatever you <laughs> land on, it's still going to be good. Totally, 100%. And that's just it. Like, I think our account managers work well with support coordinators and know what they like. You know, I would say majority, you know, aren't as, as from maybe not a, you know, they, a majority want a fewer, but we might, you know, they'll know that like, oh, this support coordinator loves, you know, offering offering a, a larger amount. But totally, at the end of the day, it's also a bit of luck. You know, you yes. go with the one worker and then, as you know, we've had a sickness this morning with this, you know, like you just never know what is going 
it is it's it's luck and you just have it's like anything it's like choosing anything in life you just have to you know make the right decision with the best information you have and then at the end of the day it's just luck that the actual logistics of it work because in our business we're people and people and we're, you know there's nothing it's not like people and product it's not like we're um you know selling wheelchairs or something you know something that it's you're always dealing with two sides of one person and another person so there's there's more that is at play I guess um you know like with just the logistical side of things of people being sick or cars breaking down or you know all of those kind of things which are part and parcel for um the service industry I think yeah which is why I often like to you know if we're going to go with say independence or if even from a provider I try to put together a team of sort of two or three because then if someone's sick there's somebody else who could slot in and and you know them it's not then a stranger totally we always are trying to create teams for people all the time because it's the best it's just the best way to manage supports like it just means you've always got another person and not just somebody else a number it's like no no no, you want to have met that person and you want to have you know had a service with them so that and know that they're the backup. Um, and workers are really happy. We find that workers are really happy to be backup. Like they, they're actually quite responsive um, to last minute. But it's so great when they say, you know, you serviced this client three weeks ago. They need another backup again. You know, so it, it, it couldn't agree more. Just yeah. having a team is always is always ideal. Yeah. So, what does um, a day in your life sort of look like with um being the person that runs this company um <laughs> what does that look like for you a day in the, are you saying a day in the life it's such a rewarding role um I love it we've got a great team um the Marissa and I really split our roles she's CEO um and does a lot of the op- um, operational and legal and finance she kind of covers that my role is marketing and tech so for me it's um, getting people to know about the platform and then making sure our systems are in place to service them so in a broad way that's what it is but it's um you know te- meetings with our tech team we you know stand we call them stand-ups you know checking on new features um it's liaising with all the the marketing coordinator and the person the community partnerships person who's out there trying to you know tell more people and get more providers on board and tell more support coordinators about us we are um since covid we only go into the office twice a week um but it's we love those days like our team thrive on like hearing what other people are doing and and working on and hearing the calls of people on the phone all the day all all day so um so from like an on a day-to-day basis it's it's two days a week we get to really um see each other we always have a team lunch on a Wednesday we've just moved into the city and we're in like a co-working space from an another office so that's really fun as well um and then I guess it's at night that I kind of do more of the deep work and all the stuff that needs kind of a bit more thinking or days when I work from home that's when I can do that whereas I guess in when I'm in the office with the team it's all it's a bit more responsive and meetings and responding to things and what what we love about um 
running Care Seekers is that I love coming up with ideas and I also love being able to implement other people's ideas. And I think we're a real ideas culture. Like we're always like, if there's a problem, how do we solve it? And being a small company, we can, you know, we can make the changes really quickly. Or if we see an opportunity, we can pounce on it and get stuff out there and offer it to our participants really quickly as well. So I guess, you know, um, there's like, there'll always be a, a portion of the week that's generating ideas, but then the rest of it needs to actually be implementing them, which obviously takes a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I do like the idea that it's so collaborative because I think I'm a big one for happy workers, uh, you know, then make for happy clients because they will look after your clients the the best because they're happy and and I think that sort of culture is is so important and like you said being able to just implement something relatively quickly compared to really big (laughs) companies um I I think that's that's key that's really key for me personally because I remember being you know, working for a big org and just thinking, oh my goodness, it takes so long to do anything. Oh. And and it's one of the reasons why, like, I do love working for myself because if I think of something, I go, okay, I'm going to do this now. <laughs> and, yes, <isn't> it? Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's, I know, and there's not, yeah, there's not hoops to jump through. And, and also I think, if it doesn't work out, it's also okay. Well, it's okay because we haven't invested months and years into this idea. So I think, I think it, it's yeah, adopting like a more of like a lean model is 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 so great. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it works for our business and it works for also like my personality. I think as well. So it's nice when there's a, a merging of the two. Yeah, awesome. And um, what are your hobbies? My hobbies, oh gosh. Or I feel do like you have any hobbies? When I had children 11 years ago. So <laughs> I I know this doesn't sound, no, I, I love walking. Like I, I just love walking. Like it, I love walking and going for walks and doing walks and it brings me a lot of joy. Um, I, I do still love film and I love books. So um, I probably don't have that many like good, out of home hobbies at the moment. I like my hobbies are things that also are efficient and walking keeps me fit and gets the dog walked, films I can do when the kids are asleep, reading is something that's essential as well. Um, So yeah, those are probably my my hobbies at this point in my life. But I when the kids grow up, I plan on getting a few more hobbies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I I think it's so hard have to hobbies. have hobbies when you, when you have children. Children are the hobby sort of thing. Oh, my gosh. Let's do their hobbies, slime yeah. making and baking. and <laughs> Yes. At the moment, those are my hobbies, yeah. <laughs> slime making. Oh That's so I good. I know my it's my eleven year old has has it down to a fine art now. Oh. So, <laughs> do, do, is it just like all over your house? So, so when she makes it, no, and when she plays with it, it's fine. But then other kids come and they, I don't know what happens, but the way they play, she's like learned how to play with it so that you don't get it all over you. But there's yeah, there's been issues when other children have come and just like put their hands right in, and so. <laughs> 
He maybe needs to work on the con- on the consistency. Yeah. <laughs> And teaching others, like, this is the way I play with it so that it doesn't go everywhere. Totally. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Awesome. So our final question um, of the podcast, and I, I love asking this question because I'm always so interested in what people have to say, um, in your ideal world, what would the future of the NDIS look like? So Marissa and I talk about this a lot. Um, I think we would, we feel it shouldn't have a price cap as it kind of means it's not such a free market. And we feel that the price cap often distorts things as everyone uses the top of the price guide rather than letting the market set the rate. And we also hate seeing Um, situations where NDIS participants are charged a different rate to a a consumer market. That just really upsets us. So we we don't love the price guide and these like rates. We feel, we know, we understand why it was put in place, but when they went for this more free market, we feel that kind of, you can't have one and the other. They don't feel that there seems to not be a synergy between the two. Um, that's probably just on the, the the commercial side of things. Um, also, just speaking to like our customers and participants, obviously, um, this need for having to constantly prove that your disability is lifelong, and this, you know, I had a was speaking to a participant the other day um, whose child, you know, they, it is what it is, and it's not going to get better, and it's and the fact that now she's. Tr- go running around with her spare time. She has three children. One of whom has a disability. She has to run around getting medical reports and all of this when her child has been diagnosed with, you know, a very severe disability, degenerative, you know, like it just crazy. It just, I just don't know why they have that in place that you have to constantly prove it. Um, so I think those are the two two things that just come to mind for me that kind of, you know, I, I would like to see that different. I, I get that some people need to like, when you're doing a review and seeing how you're going, but this, th- there's a different way to like kind of prove that you still need the support. Or if the, if you have X, Y, Z, you know, like have a list of, of disabilities that you no longer have to continue to prove that, you know, you can just talk about more about how your support's going along. Um, I think, I think those are just two things that come to mind for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, ab- are- absolutely. So the the price caps, yeah, I, I'll, um, I'll address that first because I do yeah. think both are, are really interesting things. Um, I, I completely agree. There are a lot of providers out there who don't, understand that this is just a maximum. You actually can negotiate less. And in fact, it's awesome if you charge less. That is one of the things I find maddening because I'm having to sometimes explain that to people. With that is the travel because, you know, (laughs) I'll probably uh, on a rant for a second. When you have like an OT visit and it's $193.99 already for the hour and then they're charging $193.99 for the travel, it's 
just not costing them that much to travel. It's just not. That drives me the most bananas because Mm -hmm. then when you go to review and the indie the the planner or the LAC is looking at everything and you go like we need to see an OT you know once a fortnight but we also need money for them to travel out to us and they go oh we don't care like that's up like that's your problem that you make them travel out to you and it's like well not always sometimes the home environment is the best environment or wherever you're going to, you know, because you might then meet them in a park or you might meet, you know, anyway. Sometimes that OT chooses not to have an office and they choose to be a mobile OT, which which works for them as well because they're not having to pay rent on an office and, you know, all of this. So, but then you're also, so their cost to their business is that travel, like not to, you know, diss the OTs, they do a great job, but like, no, I know it, it is, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's become this, this norm. And I, I don't know, you know, back when I was a kid and there was OT, I, I just can't imagine, you know, they, they would ever have charged for the time it would have, you know, taken to get to the client. I just. I, yeah. yeah. Or even if, if you did, it was like $20, you know, as much as like, the petrol or whatever and so it's something that frustrates me a lot um and I think you're right if you're go if you're going to pretend that you want a free market have an actual free market instead of like this pretend free market totally we had a case um and um my one of our staff members was telling me the story and I actually like almost got tears in my eyes. She was saying that um, a client was coming from a provider and they said, um, and they were coming direct to us. So, um, and we don't, you know, our workers don't charge top of the price guide. Um, and the, she was like, okay, well, we've had to put all supports on hold because, you know, we just don't have any more, um, we don't have any more hours. And then Lindsay looked at it and said, well, no, you do because we don't charge top of the price guide, which means we can continue the supports at least every fortnight. Like, And the support worker was very insistent that they continue the supports because they come so far. And also, like, the minute you stop, he'd go and get another role. Like, he's, you know what I mean? He doesn't, he's not able to, like, keep his books open for, for that. Anyway, came to the end and the supports can carry on. A little reduced, but they will carry on. And the the support coordinator who was moving from a a provider was just so thrilled. She was just like, you've just made my day. You, I am just, I can't believe this Thank, Thank you so much. And Lindsay was like, you don't need to thank us. Like this, you know, this is, this is what the work is charging and and it's all good. And she was so happy. It was so great. Yeah. That is a problem where if you have to suddenly stop all of the gains that you've made also stop and often start reverting, um, which is counterintuitive to what the NDIS is about. So that leads then into the issue of having to constantly prove your disability, which is silly because on getting access, when you're granted access to the NDIS, you have to say this is a lifelong condition. One of the things that I know they often say, say particularly with autism or intellectual disability, they go, oh yes, but um, support needs fluctuate or the 
therapy needs need to reduce because hopefully you've capacity built them. And I'm like, okay, potentially, but I think it's going to take like five years to get that sort of capacity that you're talking about where we reduce those therapies down. And they go, yeah, huh? Yeah, totally. It would, it could. And then they don't fund that. And they go, no, you've had a year to capacity build. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And there are some people out there who can't be capacity built and need the consistent amount of therapy just to keep them at the level that they're at. And that's the other thing that drives me bananas with this idea of reducing therapies or hours with support workers as you go along because, oh, you should be capacity built by now. No, no, this is just to keep me at the level that I'm at and not going backwards. And yeah, it is one of my bugbears too. Okay. (laughs) I'm I'm so excited you brought it up. (laughs) No, I know. And in some way, you know, we, we, we both work and see them in this sector and see amazing things that happen. You know, we see the good as well, but it is, it's, you know, it's a, it's a new scheme. And I think, you know, there are definitely, um, there are ways that we could, you know, improve like anything. So I think it's good to have these conversations and, Hopefully somewhere out, someone out there's listening and we'll, we'll, you know, it's one more person saying it, you know. So Yeah, and that is exactly why I ask this question because I do love the NDIS and I do think it's awesome and does change lives and there's so, there is so much good about it. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean there isn't room for improvement. Totally. And it's it's also why, like, I love this question because so far every episode we've had a different answer and that's that's the coolest. I know, I love hearing that. And I'm just like, another different answer. This is great. This is amazing because then we're getting so many more new ideas and other people out there are probably like, yes, me too. Like, I'm not the only one who is like, what the hell is with this? Totally, totally. (laughs) I think we see it, you know, um, you know, I think people see it from their own point of view, but then we also, when you're working and seeing it across, when you see the same issue come up a number of times across a number of participants, then you, you can kind of say, I think it would be better in an ideal world we changed this. So I think it's such a good question to ask. And I, I always enjoy hearing it on your, on your podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, awesome. And, and I, I do, um, you know, I, I really appreciate what you're doing. I think, um, I think the, the idea of care seekers having, you know, like a, a client manager for everybody is, it's silly to think of it as like a totally revolutionary idea. I know, I know. I know. But it's all like that's such a great, that's the one thing I often say when, like, particularly when plan managers go, oh, what's the one thing, you know, you wish you could improve on plan managers? And I'm like, oh, that they have like uh, the one person we can talk oh, to. Absolutely. That's oh my all God. I need. 100%. 
100%. I know. And I was actually laughing with a, a colleague yesterday. We were saying people used to post the job and we just never got in touch with them. We just let them be, oh, they'll find their workers. And like now they always, you know, like, and people want the help. Like nine out of 10 times they're like, yes, please just you find somebody for me. I mean, I know that when I've like used to post for babysitters or, you know, it's so overwhelming. So I think, but you do like this, the number of workers you get access to, which is different when you go, you know, through, you know, and, and anyway, there, yeah. there's positive pros and cons, but like, like, so I do think like it's, it kind of needs both, but I think, yeah, I think it was for us when we started offering it, it's when our business really took off because, and, and it just shows that's, that's what people needed. So mm-hmm. they like the platforms, but they need a lot of help. So I think that's where we come into our little niche with thank you thank you for coming on the podcast and thank marissa for me too um and um yeah no well thank you hannah keep doing the amazing work i look forward to um keeping on listening to all the awesome people you're interviewing um and yeah no it was so great to connect thank you for listening please share with people you know you can email us at whatinthendispod at gmail.com. To contact me, it's hannah at tulipcoordination.com.au. And to contact Sam, it's sam at rosenbaum.consulting. Until next time, as the Green Brothers say, don't forget to be awesome.